For more information on this topic or on the subject of disciple making in general, look us up online at browndegreen.org or send us an email directly at podcast at browndegreen.org. Thanks for listening. And you are now listening to The Great Awakening, a disciple making podcast powered by Brown and Green. And now for your hosts, Lori Evans and Lauren Ferris. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Great Awakening Disciple Making Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm Lauren. And I'm Lori. And today we are talking with Kelly Lemon. Hi, Kelly. Hey, I didn't be here. Awesome. So Kelly, where are you joining us from? I am calling in from Kansas City. Um, So yeah, Kansas City, Missouri. Awesome. Well, um, to start off, since we don't really know you all that well, we kind of just want to leave it open. We kind of want to ask who you are, but um, we did want to dig and find out one new, one unique fact about yourself. Oh no, I should have had prep for this. I um, almost gave you prep. Only, that's okay. No, it's good. Um, here it is. The only bone I've ever broken in my body is my jaw. Ooh, that's brutal. How? How does one break their jaw? I always like to lead with a fight, but that's not the truth. So, um, a bike wreck in like second grade flew over my handlebars, landed on the jaw, had it wired shut for a while, got it fixed. Oh man. So, yeah. Ouch. I don't know that I could not talk that long. Yeah, it was hard. Eating through the straw was probably the worst part. Oh yeah. That's brutal. That's brutal. Do you guys have Brahms in Kansas city? We do not. No, wow. that's, the that. only, that's the only thing that would be awesome about your, your jaw being wired shut is Brahms shakes all the time, every all day. The time. Yeah. You'd gain about 20 yeah. pounds. <laughs> 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 all right. So, um, Kelly, can you just kind of give us a overview? Like what, what did your life look like before Jesus? Yeah, for sure. Um, so life before Jesus, and I'll say, I'll say this, I grew up kind of in a Lutheran home. So always knew of Jesus, knew of God. Um, we went to church on Sundays, um, prayed before meal. I went to Lutheran school, kind of knew the Bible stories and all of that. Um, but it was much more of like out of tradition and you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so, um, things just looked kind of like the rest of America before Jesus, um, grew up in a good family. Um, you know, we loved each other well for the most part, and uh, things were what I would consider normal. But pre-Jesus, um, when I say pre-Jesus, meaning pre-knowing, really knowing <laughs> Jesus, um, it was just it looked like looked like the world. So as I've as I've come to understand the difference of seeing the world versus everybody else, um, very much just walking like the rest of the world. So, so did you grow up in church? Like you said, Lutheran, like, like, was it like an every Sunday thing? Was it kind of like my family identifies as this, but doesn't really. Yeah. So we went, I mean, it was an every Sunday thing. Um, but we, outside of like going to the church service and having to kind of like behave in church, um, and all of those things, I, we didn't talk about it a whole lot, um, in the home. And so it was much more of just, kind of you go, you learn, you come home, you pray before your meals. And it was much more like traditional and uh, kind of, as I've come to understand, like more legalistic about all of it. So 
Yeah, it sounds kind of <clears throat> like a checkbox system. That's exactly what yeah. I was going to yeah. say. Like we call that check in the box. So, yeah. so where was the shift then from just making it a checkbox system to actually creating and developing a relationship with the Lord? Where was that shift? Yeah. So that story, I don't have like the story of like the overnight, like this was the day. Um, but it, I can look like looking back, it really evolved, um, over some pretty critical milestones. So I would say the first taste I got was, um, in high school, I joined a, um, like non-denominational youth group with some friends and it was much more of like a social thing. But I remember like experiencing worship for the first time outside of like, you know, just like a choir and an organ and um, just even like the intimacy of that and seeing that some people, you know, they really do pray and they really do like read their Bibles, which was foreign to me. Um, I started to see that there's more to like having a relationship with Jesus. So I would say I got curious about it there. Um, I think I always wanted it, just didn't necessarily know how. And then I went to college and I, um, I wrestled with doubt a lot in college. And so, um, I was actually dating someone at the time and he was like the smartest person I knew, um, like went to like an Ivy league college. And I remember he came home on like some break or something. And he's like, yeah, I just don't know if I believe the whole God thing anymore. And it, and it really shook me because I was just like, you're the smartest human I know, you know? Oh man. Um, and so I, from that point on, I think I kind of realized like I had to figure it out for myself. Um, and so I tried going to Lutheran church in college again, checking the box, feeling like I could say went to church on Sunday to my parents, you know, mm -hmm. whenever I talked to him. Um, and then I stopped going to that and found a non-denominational church would go there on occasion, but it was more when it didn't cramp my lifestyle type of thing. So if I woke up on Sunday and um, wasn't hungover or something <laughs> right. like that, then I would go. And um, by like the world standards, I thought I was doing pretty good just for like going on occasion and feeling like I believe in God and identified Christian and all of that. And then um, <laughs> probably the biggest shift then is in the next mile, life milestone, graduated college, moved to Kansas City for my first adult job. Um, and I lived with my uh, hometown, like one of my best friends from my hometown and we were roommates and she comes from like a family who like her mom, I remember in high school, like people used to call her like the Bible beater and like things like that, like titles I desire now. And it's yeah, like, I right? only someone would just tell me the Jesus, Jesus freak and all what that. So, uh -huh. And so, um, anyways, she, I like, seen it now, like she was really gifted with the gift of faith. And so she never wrestled with doubt. Um, neither one of us, like we, she wasn't walking perfectly in her walk at that point either, but I saw something different in her that she had this unwavering faith. And so, um, you know, we started doing like devotionals every once in a while, like at night or praying together. Um, and then we, I found new city church in, uh, Shawnee and started going there. And I don't remember exactly how or when, but after experiencing church there, I realized there's a lot more to this. And I just became super hungry. And so um, couldn't get enough of like sermons, couldn't get enough of, you know, worship songs that were good. And so I was always taking stuff in. Um, but at that point, like it was still very selfishly motivated, right? So like I wanted to get mine and get out. Like I always made a joke, like 
they wanted to know you at that church. And I always told like my roommate, I'm like, stop talking. We got targets on our back. When we go in, they're going to try and talk to us and get us to stay. I just want in and out. Um, and so then, yeah. And then the biggest shift from there was um, getting divided, getting invited into a discipling <laughs> relationship with Rachel Moik. So I was in her and Krista's last D group before they went to Hera. And so um, that's where like life just totally transformed and changed for me. Um, I began to understand like, and I don't know if I'm leading into a question you might ask, but like one of my biggest transformations in that was I began to understand like this whole thing while I've been hungry and I want to learn and I want to get filled, none of it is about me. And so um, it just became something that, you know, we always say like taught, not taught. It truly like was that for me. And so um, I began to understand I didn't have to get fed. I could self feed. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to abide. Um, But now like I can't imagine my life without it. That's awesome. I do. I, I want to go back to um, one of those, those, um, those instances. So when you were dating the guy who said he wasn't sure if he believed in God. So I have two, two questions or kind of um, regarding that. Like in that moment, like, did that instill doubt in you or did that just spur you on to dig deeper and to prove that what you had thought all along was actually true, that there is a God and that Jesus is the son of God? Honestly, a little of both. So, I mean, it, it shook me in a way where like there was doubt, but I think, like I said, there was a saving grace in me where I always wanted to believe that what I believed was true. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it put me in a place where, um, you know, I started understanding and seeing that the world is not going to buy the story, you know, like worldview is, um, this all sounds crazy. How can this be real? Think about what you're reading and what you believe is true. And so I started to wrestle some of that stuff out, like stories in the Bible, you know, like Noah the ark. I'm like, okay, could that have really happened? Like all of, you know, all the things that people come at you to want to try and like put a bullet in your face, like those, those things I had to wrestle with. And I'll say like, I didn't, it wasn't like an immediate belief. It was a choice for a long time. Like it was a choice saying like, I'm, I believe this, like I would wake up and I would have to like choose to believe if that makes sense. It does. does. Um, and, and the other thing is like, I have two teenage girls and, um, Lauren has a a preteen, like she's, you know, she's also coming up to that where people are going to, they're going to be faced with that same, that same thing. Like people that they love people in their lives in school or or whatever are going to, the same conversation is going to come up with them. Like, I don't believe in God. Like, I, you know, mm-hmm. something like God is not real. Like, is there anything that you would say to those girls um, who might be approached with that? Like how, how to deal with that? Yeah. I mean, I think like the thing that I think discipleship like earlier on would have done for me is knowing where to go to seek the truth. You know, like I didn't know how to abide. I didn't have like a true relationship out of like what I understood to be prayer with the Lord. And so I think instilling like that in, in the youth, like they're not, not everyone's going to be perfect. Not everyone's going to make all the right decisions, but pointing them so they know where to go. And then reminding them, like, sometimes you just got to preach it to yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that makes me realize how important the youth disciple making um, program is you know, like how, how it's not about, um, it's not so much about making sure that they do right. It's about making sure that they know where to go 
yeah. whenever something rocks yeah, their they face. Have the resources um, at the tip of their fingers. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like like you, Kelly, did you have that? Um, it doesn't sound like you did. Like you had to figure it out on your own at that age. Um, right. So, I mean, that happened to me actually as an adult and in my mid thirties where someone who I cared about was like, I don't, I don't believe in the Lord. And, and, and you know, it's all hogwash and he's some crazy scientist. And um, I didn't know where to go because I wasn't in, I wasn't involved in a church. I didn't have spiritual family around me. And so that I had a doubt, a doubt a long time, like for several years. Um, so I think that's awesome. So from that moment then with um, the ex-boyfriend, how long was it from then to entering into discipling relationship with um, Rachel and Chris? Oh, it was a while. So was it? it was, it's been a process guys. Um, <laughs> it always is. Always, yep. Um, kind of working it out, you know, year over year. Um, from that point, it was probably, I mean, it was probably six, seven years after. I mean, and like looking back, I can see how things chipped away and like yeah. the Lord totally went before me and lined everything up. Um, but yeah, it wasn't like this quick overnight thing. He just, the gift he gave me was the gift of being thirsty. You know, yeah. like yeah. I, I just couldn't get enough once I started to taste it. That's awesome. So, so then through the process of being discipled, um, what would you say was the hardest thing you walked through in accepting that Jesus was both Lord and Savior? Like, I was that through the process of disciple making, or is that something that happened afterward? Um, actually, so looking back, I had a pretty big come and die before I went in to, into discipleship. And so I remember I went to a women's conference and um, there was a sermon being preached and it was about like, get off the fence and basically uh-huh. how you're, you've got your feet in both camps. Um, and so like, it was one of those where it's like, oh my gosh, she's literally preaching to me. And yeah. that is actually what kind of triggered me to want to get discipled. So I was like, okay, this is what I need to do. Like, if I'm going to say, I want this, I need to be all in. And so that's where like, I decided, you know, I'm really going to go in head first, but yeah, through, through, um, the discipling process, there were lots of come and die moments. A lot of them were small, you know, and then there were some that were, that were bigger. Um, for example, like it changed the way I look at dating. It changed the way, um, I mean, again, like the biggest one, like that I think about life, like I have much more of an etern- eternality mindset now, um, which I'm super thankful for. Cause I realized like we're blades of grass and what we do matters. Okay. So Kelly, can you explain to us kind of like, what does the fruit of Kelly lemon look like? Oh man, so much better than the crap I thought was fruit before I knew what fruit was. Um, so I am on my, so I, I'm on my second group that I'm leading. And so, um, I have spiritual kids, which is awesome. And then I have some in the process. I'm still waiting to be the spiritual grandma, (laughs) but I look forward to the day. Um, but yeah, I think just the, the revelation of like the fruit has to come from him. Like so much of it in ministry. And, you know, even when you think you're doing things for the Lord, you realize like, I, I'm not actually in control of any of it. Um, and so I think my fruit is only fruit if he calls it fruit, right? 
So, um, right. But it's visible. It's visible. So, so I guess my question is like, so your, your visible fruit would be the disciples that you've walked with. Yeah. Okay. So Kelly, what does disciple making look like for you? Yeah. So disciple making is, I mean, really the outside, like Matthew 28, right? Like you're going to go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them the things of the Lord. Um, but second Timothy two, two, of course, is one that's going to stick out of, you know, investing in reliable women who are going to go and invest in reliable women. And so, um, for me, it's finding people and I've learned this even more so like with my second group, finding true people of peace that are hungry, like in that I don't have to try and find them myself. The Lord is going to bring them to me. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes all the difference because then your words are heavy on them and they want to soak it in. Yes. So I um, learned the hard way. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we all do. It's trial and error. That's for sure. Um, so what, what are some of the hiccups that you've had, um, in figuring out what disciple making looks like for you? Yeah. So, um, in my first group, a hiccup I would say is I tried to rush the process. So, um, I was eager to move past. I knew how sweet D2 could be, right? Like those moments of transformation. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a hard season, but when you start, when you start to see, um, like the fruit on the other side and people walk out obedience, like I was eager to get there. And so I, I rushed it. And so I rushed through D1 and, you know, we say everything rises and falls on the abide. Well, I didn't give them enough time to learn how to abide to get through D2. And so the Lord kind of showed me and, and um, revealed to me that I, you know, in First Peter 5, uh, when it talks about shepherding the flock that the Lord's entrusted to you, it says, serve as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly nor being lords over those entrusted Mm -hmm. to you, but being examples to the flock. And so I had to um, step back and say, like, we we need to learn how to abide. And I've got to share, like, I have to be open and transparent with them about what the Lord's teaching me and, like, showing them how I'm abiding. Um, I need to do it, like, not just to rush and get to what I would say, like, um, is almost the selfish gain of, like, wanting to see it for them, but giving them the time in the process with the Lord to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I know that can be tricky moving into from D1 into D2. Um, even like with, with my current group, we jumped into D2 much faster than we should have. So I had at, at some point, um, because it got hard quickly, we had to pump the brakes and kind of back up a little bit, which was great for the yeah. whole group. Because like you said, that foundation of abiding like they had to have that solid foundation first before they could progress on and walk through the hard things because they don't know how to get through the hard things unless they've read the words, you know, to know how to get through the hard things. So I think that that's definitely, that's tricky. It is tricky and letting it naturally happen. Um, man, uh, it is tough. Yeah. And I think if you don't like that's, that's the prime time for them to completely run and just walk away completely because they don't have the tools of abiding to walk through the tough stuff through, through the D2, the, you know, the transformation moments. Um, so, um, so I can't imagine what it would be like met, being met with a D2 moment and not having the abide, um, like that whole pendulum under control or, um, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It sounds crazy. Yeah. This group that I have now, it was super cool because I feel like 
I learned it in my first one and I was able to apply it in this one. Um, and it was really fun because we just kind of taught learning circle and the Kairos, you know, the Kairos moments and tool. But I had examples from them where they've actually already done it and walked themselves through a Kairos. And I got to use those as examples of saying like, here's what was, what happened. Like, and let me give you language and tool to describe like what the Lord has done for you. So that was really fun. I bet that was eye opening for them too. Yeah. To see that. Yep. That's awesome. Hey, so I I do have a question, um, kind of going back to what disciple making looks like for Kelly. Um, so you have a career, you have, you have a job. So a lot of times women are like, I can't, I can't do both because disciple making, it's an immersion process. Like you, it's like doing life on life. Like these women get to see everything you do in your life. And so how do you like kind of walk us through like how you, how you balance that? Um, because almost like I'm, I'm going to guess that a lot of the women that listen to our podcast are also work or they have kids and, and they're constantly like, how do you do life on life with women who are not in your, in your home all the time? Or maybe they are, I don't know. Um, versus, you know, having a career and, and doing the things that you need to do outside of disciple making. So kind of what yeah. does that look like? Yeah. Um, so my answer is going to be. Like it doesn't make any sense except that it's the Lord and he makes it work. And so, um, once you like decide that you're going to do this, of course you're going to hit like, you know, things where things come up, but I'll tell you, like I started, I actually even started a new job, um, like in the middle of leading this group that I'm with now and the new job is a lot more hours than I was doing, like, especially like ramping up. And there were many nights, you know, where I had to kind of like get online the night of my D group, the Lord has secured every single week. Like That's it's awesome. just wow. been awesome. Um, and it's, he's shown me, uh, you know, like the, I, the manna for the day concept, right? Like that he's going to provide, provide exactly what I need. Um, he's shown me that like, all I have to do is spend time with him and he's going to do the rest. And yeah. so it's been cool. Like even the scriptures that I'm in are applicable for what is needed that night, you know? And so even on a week where I've been busy and I maybe haven't gotten like as much, uh, like deep in the word time, um, like he still provides every single time. Yeah. That's awesome. So what I hear you saying is that Kelly lemon doesn't make it happen. The Lord makes it happen. That's right. That's a yeah. good summary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the beautiful thing about disciple making though. It doesn't like we sit with the Lord and it doesn't hinge on us. He does all oh. the work, all of it. And so it's kind of neat to just realize that you don't have to carry all that. You, mm-hmm. you sit with the Lord and you do the next thing and you, you obey and he, right. he makes it work. Another really. thing I heard you say is, um, you messed up in your first D group on a couple of things and that the Lord met you every time and that yep. you've been able to use that in your second group. Like, and you didn't, I haven't heard you say yet that you ruined any of the women in your first, in your first D group because of those screw ups, like the Lord, the Lord covers that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. There was one night, um, I called like, who was kind of my pole in that season. And I was like, one of my girls is going to quit. I know it. Like she's, she called me. She wants to meet me for coffee, just the two of us. And I'm pretty sure she's going to quit. And, um, it was after like walking through a tough Kairos, like the night before and, and, you know, in the, in the group in front of everyone. And, um, I could feel that it, 
like it, there was just the feeling in the room was uncomfortable. And so um, we pushed like looking back probably a little too hard. And so um, the Lord like totally covered that situation and ended up using that moment to kind of, she, she told of that moment in her like testimony of transformation out of discipleship. Wow. Yeah. It was cool. I know. And being, being disciple makers, I mean, we're going to have those moments, things are going to get broken, but it's okay because the Lord will use it all for his glory. Yep. Another, another, like going back to it, not hinging on us. That's pretty right. Yeah. That's, um, that's, that's cool. It reminds me of, I don't know why, but of Genesis 50, 20, and this is something that Travis and I stand on a lot is that like what you meant to destroy me is, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. the Lord used for me, you know, for the saving of many lives. And, um, in that instance, in particular, particular is when Joseph had been sold into slavery and then he ends up coming back and saving his, his brothers. But, um, like, it's just amazing what the Lord can do with the things that we break, whether it's intentional or not. Um, like, the Lord can, can use that and, and grow us and grow the people that, that were affected by it. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you think, think Kelly, um, in the ways that the Lord has, has used you in the past, um, whether it's before, before becoming a disciple maker or after, like, what do you think, how do you think, um, I'm not mistaken figure out the, the way to say this. Um, what's the, what's most, the most impactful way that the Lord has used you? Like whether it be an instance or, or what, whatever. Yeah. Um, man, it's really just through, through this process, like through the process of making disciples, my group right now is so fun. Um, and I can see, you know, we're, we started in March. So we're what, like a little over six months in and I can see transformation in all of them. And like, I can tell like they're catching it um, and they desire to like be a person um, for someone else. Like I can tell that they're starting to talk about that and like getting it. And so it's super, super fun. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Does that answer the question? It it does answer the question. It's like the Lord has used you um, to inspire other women to be disciple makers. Like, yeah, that's kind of what I hear you hear you saying. Um, I don't know that there's any bigger impactful way for the Lord to use someone really. Right. That's like multiplication. Totally. And I mean, like it's given me a different perspective on ministry in general, you know, Um, like there's lots of good things to do and we should be doing other things and, you know, like investing in other people in a smaller way at some points and doing the things in the instances that the Lord asks us. But um, like in the, in the church and I'll kind of share something that the Lord revealed to me, which is super cool. Um, but just how important it is that we are people that go and do this because this is how he built his church. So in, um, in Matthew 16, whenever Peter was with Jesus in Caesarea Philippi, so they had gone on this full day journey and they go, they go and um, it's basically where there's a ton of pagan worship and, Jesus asks and says, like, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And he declares it. And Jesus replies and says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when you eat the word on that, Peter, his name means rock, but it's like a single stone. And then whenever he says on this rock, he uses a different form. It's Petra, which is a large mass of connected rock. 
right? Um, and so then he gives the formula. He says, I will build my church. And I think so many times we get it twisted, like, what can we do to build our churches? Like, the Lord will build the church. And so then you pair that, like, you go down verse 19, um, after he says that, he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom, which is like transfer of authority. Um, and then from that moment on, he has, he shifts his ministry with his disciples to kind of um, talk about what's coming with the death and resurrection. And then pair that with Matthew 28, where the actual transfer of authority is happening when Jesus is going away. And he says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth, therefore go and make disciples. And so it, it becomes so clear that this is the way, like it's his recipe. It's how he designed it. So we don't need to be creative in a million different ways. Like, yes, there's good things to do. But when you talk about like how the church is going to rise, it has to be this. It is. Yeah, I agree. I think we get in the Western church, like we get into that mindset where we take on the ownership of, of building the church or building the body. Like it, it rises and falls on man. Um, like, like a, it could be a pastor of a church or um, like elders of a church. Like if I don't do this, then, then the church isn't, isn't going to, um, to prosper where really we just have to have to put our like give ourselves to to a small group of people and teach them how to give themselves to another small group of people and then teach them how to give themselves to another small group of people and so like i think i said this before like it reminds me of a multi-level marketing um thing where like that's what you do is you you take a small group and then it just it compounds itself because one little seed has been planted in us as disciple makers and we're it, our purpose isn't to make disciples just to make disciples it's to make disciple makers and so i think when you have that that change of mindset like you just see the, you see the whole the whole church differently and yeah, the growth of the church it reminds me of if it if it's if it's hinging on man it'll burn out but if it's of the <sighs> Lord you know it'll continue on so that's yeah pretty cool for sure um, so I have I have another thing I wanted to ask then going off of that like what what would you say is the biggest pillar in your life so far uh, okay so the biggest pillar in my life uh, I'd have to say was um, when I was in that season of wrestling with doubt which lasted a really long time like even after I knew the Lord and had a relationship with him. Uh, the enemy would just kind of throw those darts of trying to get me to doubt what I, I knew to be true. Um, and so I remember driving home from a sand volleyball tournament uh, one night and I was kind of wrestling with the Lord in the car. And I remember crying and just being like, Lord, I like want something so crazy and amazing um, that I like can't believe in it. And it's only possible through you. And um, in that season, I got baptized. So like that was a step of obedience. So you talk about things that I walked through in discipleship. Um, that was one that the Lord revealed to me that I needed to choose this for myself. I was baptized as a baby. So um, walked in that obedience, was baptized. Um, and, you know, like, again, the enemy still throws, throws darts and mm-hmm. I still would have doubt. And to say that I never, never doubt would be, you know, not true. Like things always come in, but you choose that belief. Um, but I was really wanting something that I could stand on. And so, um, a couple of weeks later, I was at a conference with some friends, that same friend that I mentioned earlier, like in her mom and their mm-hmm. group of friends. And, um, just 
really awesome, like spirit filled weekend of just, um, you know, you can, where you could just tangibly feel his presence. Um, and we were in a moment of prayer at, um, her, her mom's friend's house and we were praying over everyone. And while we were praying, like the Lord gave me the gift of like praying in tongues. And I had no idea like what that was going to be like. Um, and it was just mind blowing. I remember my eyes just like, I started crying and like, I couldn't control my lips. Like it was like his, his words coming out. And so, um, it was crazy. And then it just was exactly what, you know, I needed to kind of kill, kill the doubt. But then I say, I say that, and then I was driving home. I'm like, was that real? But, you know, um, but it, that's, I mean, that's my biggest pillar because never again will I say like the Lord is not real. Right. Like this can't be true. That's pretty legit. I like it. But isn't that, isn't that what the world teaches us? Like if, if it's not of the world, like, is it really real? Like, yeah. Like, like, you know, like they put that doubt in us. And so then we have to constantly go back to the word and like, no, this is real. Like this did really happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't just formulate this on my own to, you know, for whatever reason, but. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's funny, I went to because it was so real to me. And I was like, I can't deny like what's just happened. Yeah, I was in 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 discipleship at the time. And I remember texting Rachel and Chris and being like, Hey, guys, like, I have to talk to you. Something happened. I feel like I need to like, bring it to you. And because at this point, I'm like, I have no idea what my church thinks about this. Uh Like, I've never been in a culture like where it's normal. Right? Yeah. And I remember I went over to their house and I sat down and I was, I was prepared. Like, honestly, I was prepared to walk away if they were like, yeah, we're not going to like believe or buy into that. Like, that's not real. Um, which was really hard. So I remember being super nervous and that they sat me on the couch and I was just kind of telling the story. And then it, I stopped and there was like silence. And Chris, I remember Chris was like, well, it's in the Bible and we believe the word is true. <laughs> And so, um, I just remember being like a breath of fresh air, which is exact, exactly what you're saying, Lori, like it's in the word. Yeah. And so the world would say no, but the word would say yes. Yeah. How cool that you had a relationship with, with disciple makers that you could go like in, in such a vulnerable moment that you could go and say, listen, I think this just happened to me, but the world keeps telling me that this isn't real. So, so please help me. Um, know that this was in fact real and that this really did happen. Like that, that's awesome. Yeah. That's pivotal. Really? Like you said, she was, she was was gonna, you were going to walk away. I mean, it all, that's crazy, you know, like, and it's, it is in the word. There are crazier things in the word. So, (laughs) you know, like it's like, if it's in the word, it's, it's real. How crazy that you just said there are crazier things in the word. Like, like wow, I mean there are, but whoever makes you want to see know. the dead rise and people know, right? exactly. of healing and yeah, right, know, bring it. Um, okay, so in closing, um, this is the ultimate question I have for you, Kelly. Why do you live a life worth following? Because I follow Jesus. Wow, and that's that's literally the only reason I follow Jesus, and I. Do what he asks me to do. And so without it, I would not have a life worth following. Good. That's awesome. So true. Shema. Huh? Shema. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so what are you reading right now, Kelly? Um, I'm actually 
And so I jump around a little bit, but I'm actually in Habakkuk. Um, and so uh -huh. I've never really studied it. And so I'm in it kind of studying that. So, so that's funny. So in Habakkuk, I always say Habakkuk. But, no, no one um, knows how to say it. Oh, like, so the Lord, the Lord gave me a verse out of that um, book a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, and it was in chapter two, and I think it's two verse one or two verse three. I can't remember, but it's literally where the Lord's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something, and I want you to go, and I want you to write it." And He literally says, "I want you to write it so the one." who may read it or who reads it may run with it yep. like I'm like I'm like why would you want to run with it like I don't understand this at all and so I did some digging into that and it literally means to make it easy to read to, to write it so that the one who reads it may read it quickly and easily um, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's awesome I, lo I love that book yeah um, and then so. he writes in poetry that's super hard and you're like yes this is supposed to be easy that's yes, right yeah. you know and they, and, and maybe in Hebrew, it was easy to understand. You know, that's the cool thing about the Bible is like, it's been translated into a, a language that we can understand. And it may have been easy to read in Hebrew. I don't, you know, I don't know. So. Yeah, I read um, or that it was like, it was written in poetry. And so like, one of the reasons, like, I think the Lord does that, like the in Psalms and stuff too, is so you can't just get past it, right? Like, you can't just read it and be like, got it. Like, you have to really like wrestle it out. In, right. in figure out what it means yeah and then exactly. wonder, did, I, did i just read that is that really what it says <laughs> does that yeah. say what i think it all says right. all right lord i'm following <laughs> right uh, that's fun okay last question what's your favorite verse and why oh man um i don't know if i have one favorite and it kind of like it can be in seasons um right now i'll say like while i'm in habakkuk it's the um Two, two, four, which is quoted in the New Testament, like three different places, but it's that basically the righteous or the just will live by faith. And so, um, you know, it's written in Hebrews and Romans and Galatians. And so there's, it's important, right? It's repeated yep. in scripture. So um, that's probably current. And then I would say it's like on the thread of discipleship and just kind of what this we've talked about today is the John 15. 12 through um, 14, you know, the, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. And you are my friends. If I, if you do what I command you. And so it's just the ultimate picture of like true love, spiritual family and being Jesus's friend. Like you can't, you can't ask for more than that. Right. So. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, there is one more thing. Um, okay. We usually ask <laughs> the our famous guests. One more thing, right? It's it's not a question though, but um, we generally ask our guests to um, pray us out. Can you oh, yeah. handle that? Sure. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, hold on, my IMs are going off. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lord, thank you so much for these women. Thank you for the time to get to talk about you and the things that you've done in my life and the life of the women around me. Lord, thank you for um, just revealing to us the importance of the Great Commission and our the call on our lives. Um, I thank you for just the fact that we get to be spiritual family because we're knit together through this mission, Lord. Um, I praise your name for the work that you've done in their lives, for the work that you're going to do in the women that they lead and the women that those women lead. Lord, may they be just blessed with many, many generations of spiritual DNA. Um, 
yeah. And I just pray for all of those listening that um, if they are interested or curious, Lord, that they don't wait and that they get to taste the joy of what it is to lay their life down for their friends. And so um, with that, we just praise your name. We declare your goodness and we ask you to uh, bless, bless the lives of those who multiply, which we know you will. We experience it and it's a pillar. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. 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 Awesome. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. By the way, your your conversation about the the lady, your friend's mom, like that inspires me to be that mom. So oh my I'm, gosh, I'm, gra- I know, I'm grateful right? for your story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I think it belongs on a t-shirt. What what was it? Bible thumper? Was that what you said? Uh, Bible beater. Yeah, Bible, <laughs> Bible beater. beater. Yeah. Oh, All right. Yeah. yeah, I don't know about okay. a t-shirt. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, Well, thank you again for listening to the Great Awakening podcast. Um, Grace and peace.